We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. We're playing with the Game Splits app, considering offenses to avoid and looking at player props on RotoViz Radio. What's up, RotoViz? Hey everyone, welcome on into Rotoviz Radio brought to you by the FFPC. I'm Dave Cabin, Senior Fantasy Analyst at Rotoviz. I'm joined tonight by the editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network, Mr. Matthew Friedman. Matt, what's going on and which team has your favorite NFL uniform? Uh what's going on is I am traveling. I'm in New Hampshire. Uh, it, this is not a good setup. Uh, I am recording on my laptop and I'm using Wi-Fi, which is literally called slow Wi-Fi. Um, <laughs> it's yeah. So not, not my finest and, uh, my favorite NFL uniform. Ah, uh, I don't know. I mean, pr- I'd probably go Cowboys, but that's just cause that's my favorite team. But I, I mean, they all look kind of the, the same and boring to me. Okay. Um, uh, do, you, do you have a favorite NFL uniform? Yeah, I actually do. Uh, and I kind of like more of like the old classic kind of look than, than the new type of one. So like the Jags and the Titans, I don't really like. Uh, despite being a Patriots fan, I actually think that the Steelers may have the best uniforms in the league. Yeah, not a fan of the Steelers uniforms. By the way, can you hear a dog barking in the background? Oh, yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. That's, That's what's happening now. I'm I'm house sitting, and what that really means is we are watching a dog, um, and this dog is wonderful, um, but he likes to bark quite. What a bit. type of dog I, is he? Um, a big dog. Okay. Do, I mean, do you want more of a description? Yeah, of course <laughs> I do. Of course I do. I want to know the breed. I, I mean, I, I'm imagining that he's some sort of pit. Oh, really? Yeah. 
Okay. All right. Well, I think that we've definitely had the best start that we've ever had in podcast history. So we might as well just carry along from here. What do you think? Yes. Home runs all over the place. (laughs) All right. So what I wanted to do to start off this episode was use the Game Splits app up on RotoViz and look at a couple of teams that have had some changes in their roster that we think could be significant and try to make sense of some of these splits. So for New England, Obviously, Rob Gronkowski is retired. Some of what he may have done in the passing game could shift to and kill Harry. We don't really know, but I pulled up some splits for three different players on the team, and let's talk about the results and see what we think. So James White had 46 games, and I went back to 2011, 46 games in which Rob Gronkowski played 15 out of the split. In the games that Gronk played, he went uh, for 11 PPR points without Gronk 13.2. Saw an uptick of one target a game. Um, Rushing attempts actually were up when Gronk was there as well. I don't know if there's too much that you can glean from this, but I have heard some people say that potentially James White picks up some of the slack left by Gronkowski. I think one thing I would say is that the Gronk of last season wasn't really the Gronk that we may have seen some of the seasons before. Uh, But nonetheless, I do think it's interesting to look at a split like this. Do you think that we should read into this? And uh, what's kind of your outlook on if White can pick up any production with Gronk being no longer on the team or in the league? Yeah, I think it's fair to assume that he will get uh, some of the production that otherwise would have gone to Gronk, or at least some of the uh, aerial opportunities that would have gone to Gronk, because they have to go somewhere, and he is one of the the best pass catchers on the team. Um, So I believe I have him right now as my number 17 running back in PPR format um, for the season. Uh, So I, I think he's going to continue to be peppered with targets just as he pretty much has been for the last couple of seasons. Absolutely. And I think that one of the things that we see teams like New England and specifically the Patriots do is they make the best use of what's available to them and they keep teams on their heels. And one way that you can do that is by using James White perhaps in different ways than we've seen him in the past, but he's definitely the type of player that they're going to want to use in different looks. And when the team has had to rely on James White, he's always come through. So while I don't think that you can make a tremendous case for his opportunity really expanding greatly upon what we've seen before due to the absence of Gronk, it certainly does help him when you start to project the team and you consider what they're going to do, despite the fact that there is Sony Michelle there, and it does seem that Damien Harris is going to get into the mix. I think that James White certainly has a locked in role. Um, I haven't finished my projections. I think that I might come out maybe with White around 19, but I do think that that RB2 potential is there. Of course, you always have to have the discussion about how he will accrue those points over the course of the season. I think what's kind of funny is... um People are maybe assuming that the Patriots offense is going to take a step back with Gronkowski out. And like, I think that is probable, but then they're kind of projecting that onto the remaining players. Whereas like, I don't know if that necessarily means that they do anything less like, like James White, I don't think he's going to really do anything different uh, than what he's done previously. And Edelman, it might even be like a, a boon for Edelman. It's probably a negative for Brady, but like for the other skill position players, it might just be basically the same. I think the one thing that you could point to would be for any of the running backs when they are actually rushing, it's hard to overlook how good of a blocker Gronk was last season. And there were some plays where James Devlin would set things up really nicely. The back would be able to cut it outside and they'd pick up a nice block from Gronk here or there. So I I think that's one spot where you could say that they kind of weakened, but we have seen so many instances where Gronk misses games and the team's offense is able to make things work. And, you know, this production that you might've expected to disappear for other players doesn't, but uh, there is an interesting dichotomy there with some people thinking 
thinking that the team's going to take a step back and then they move Kronk's production out to other players. But as you mentioned, Brady likely will be hurt. So if you look at his split, 96 games with Gronk, 28 without. Huge difference in PPR points. It drops from 25.5 to 21.4. His attempts actually go up, but his touchdowns go down from 2.17 per game to 1.75 per game. And the yards drop um, from 296 to 260. So I think it's hard to determine that this won't have some type of real concrete impact on Brady. Yeah, I totally agree. He completes fewer passes um, for fewer yards, fewer touchdowns. It like it's a real thing. Um, and so when I originally projected Brady, I was uh, I don't know why I was trying to be like generous or something. And so mm-hmm. I like I didn't really take into account all that much that Gronk was going to be gone. Like I did a little bit, but I realized I was just way too high on him. So like I went back and basically used the uh, Gronk is out splits for projecting Brady forward, which I think is pretty fair. Yeah, it, when, especially with a player like Brady that you have so many seasons to look at and then you actually have like this is a tremendously large split to look at in comparison to anything that we might try to do. So you have, you know, again, 96 games in split, 28 out of the split. That's a lot of evidence when you're doing something like this to go on. So I definitely think that's fair. Yeah. Julian Edelman, who we mentioned might get somewhat of an uptick Another substantial split. We have 59 games with Gronk playing 22 without him. And we do see a jump in his PPR points from 13.4 to 16.7. Touchdowns are relatively flat. Actually, they decrease a negligible amount, but the targets jump from 7.59 to 10.59. So that's an increase of three targets per game and his receiving yards go up about 20. So that does speak to the potential for him to gain targets. And I also think when you, when you consider how strong Edelman finished the season in the postseason. Uh, I think that there's reason to feel good about him despite uh, the age that he's now going to be playing at, you know, north of 30 um, with some injuries and, you know, a lot of toll on his body. But I still think that there's not much reason to feel like the Edelman you're getting this year is different than maybe the two or three years prior. Now with Gronk out, there's just a lot of opportunity. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, I think Edelman is going to be set up for a really good season. Um, I think that what will hurt um, with Gronk's absence is the uh, reduction in touchdowns for the offense in general. And so I think that will hit Edelman a little bit, but he's going to see such a bump in targets that he will probably still end up with a comparable amount of touchdowns in the end. Yeah, and um, I, I think that's a very fair point. And then the other thing too, you know, Edelman has always been one of those players that, like you said, benefits from the receptions with the PPR aspect. So I'm st- actually expecting him to be a wide receiver too. And I'm not sure that that seems to be the consensus. So I wouldn't be shocked if I'm if I'm in a couple of drafts this year where he falls lower than I'm expecting, and I'm able to scoop him up, um, you know, in a spot where I was expecting a lower caliber yeah. player. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I think one of the kind of hidden things with Edelman is what is going to happen with Josh Gordon. Like, we just don't know. And um, if Gordon returns at some point, like right now, I'm just I'm pulling a number out of my you know hat yep. when I'm projecting him right now for games. It's I'm projecting him for six games played, but I have no idea. But like, it could be eight. It could be 10. Like, we just don't know when Gordon's going to return. But I think that will be a, a big factor in how many targets Edelman gets that people just kind of aren't taking into account right now. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, although I do feel like, and this probably isn't shocking, that uh, if Gordon does return and plays a substantial amount of games, which I would consider six to be substantial, the player that probably will suffer the most from that is in Keel Harry. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, I think that's true, um, but I think we would see... So right now in the the splits without Gronk, Edelman has gotten 10.6 targets per game. Yep. I think like we could bump that down to like nine or eight and a half. You know I, what I mean? Like yeah, I think yeah. it will impact him. I think that's fair. And then as we were talking about earlier with the touchdowns, if Gordon is around, I think then you have to knock off maybe another two or three touchdowns if it's if it's six games. Um, you know, maybe three is a little aggressive, but certainly more than one which would leave us at two. (laughs) Um, Quick reminder, 
that you can still get um, a 10% listener-only discount through the podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. We have more tools on the way. The content is really ramping up. I highly recommend that you go and check out everything we have going on. And if you want to support the Rotoviz radio channel, where we just have so many podcasts coming out each week, trying to bring you the best quality product that we can week in and week out, you can support us through Rotoviz radio. Radio Patreon, which you can find links to um, in all of the podcast descriptions on the site. But this year, we're adding in Rotoviz Radio Patreon Slack, where you will now have access to a number of the Rotoviz Radio hosts, but also some of the writers are joining up in there. There's just a lot of good conversations going on. You can get really tailored advice. And um, as the season gets into full swing, you know, you can bounce trades off of the team. Um, get DFS advice, get start, um, sit advice. So that's going to be really cool. And we're looking forward to interacting with more of our listeners. So definitely go check that out. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy Decoy by Duckhorn. Elevate your occasion. Let's shift our attention to the Steelers. Naturally, we have to look at Antonio Brown being out. We've already talked about Juju a lot, but that's because we both feel really good about him. And I think he's one of the more interesting players to get excited about as we head into 2019. Much smaller split. We have 26 games in which he played with Antonio Brown, only three without. Having said that, though, there is a vast difference in his production without Brown versus what you saw with him in there. And I think that this deflects some of the negatives that you might want to put on what happens to a player like Schuster when Antonio Brown isn't there absorbing some of the defense's attention. So, his PPR points go from 16.18 with Brown to 21.17. That's a full, just about five point increase. Touchdowns go from what would be seven on the season to 16. So it jumps from 0.42 per game to one per game. The targets go up. Actually, this is one of the smaller jumps that we see from 8.38. They go up to nine. And again, it's only a three-game sample with Brown out. So it's it's hard to speculate what could be going on there. And the receiving yards go up from 78.65 to 85. What do you think of that, Matt? Juju is going to crush um, earlier, like maybe a week ago or two weeks ago. I was a little, I don't know, like embarrassed or something about having Juju yep. uh, projected as my number one wide receiver. And now I don't even care. Like, I, I think he deserves to be the number one receiver. Um, and the good part is you don't have to get him as the number one receiver to have the upside of that potential with him. So, uh, you know, he's going off the board often as like, you know, number five, sometimes even number seven. Yep. Um, I'm happy to take him wherever I can. Uh, I think he's in the best position and, and looking at this split, which yep. um, doesn't really inform all that much my projection, but kind of mirrors a little bit what I end up seeing. Um, the big boost that he's going to get, I don't think is necessarily in targets. Although um, I think he will see a, a little uptick. Mm-hmm. Um, the big boost is in the red zone targets. Like he's going to score more touchdowns. Those were just funneled out of obligation to Antonio Brown 
last season. Uh, <laughs> this this upcoming season, it's going to be Juju all over the field. And um, I have him projected for the most yards. Uh, I think he's going to continue to be efficient as a yardage producer. Um, I think people have said that he's kind of only a slot receiver, and I don't think that's, that's the case at all. Yeah, I think that's that's just where they you know put him in the past. But I think they can move him all over the formation. But even if he does continue to play primarily in the slot, um, I think he's still going to be good enough in the slot to continue to produce. So uh, I am 100% in on Juju and uh, I'm, I'm expecting him to have a pretty significant target share within the Steelers offense. I think that what stands out to me most when I look at the split is the fact that really where we see this huge jump in the points is coming from touchdowns. Now, obviously touchdowns are somewhat variable. There's some randomness to them. And obviously with it being a three game split, I don't want to project that Juju is going to get to 16 touchdowns, but like you said, I definitely think that we're going to see a jump in a 12 touchdown season feels very realistic. Um, And even if we don't see that large of a jump in the touchdowns, I do think that a jump in targets over the 8.38 is possible. I mean, we saw some games last season where Antonio and Juju were each getting 10, 11 looks. It's not a stretch to think that there's some games where Juju is going to get to 15. Maybe it averages out to around 12, but there's so many reasons to be optimistic. And as you said, he is a player that has a very real chance of being the number one overall wide receiver, yet he's going sometimes as the fifth or sixth receiver, which this sets up really nicely for those of you that will be in auction drafts, because I think that you're going to see a situation where he goes for maybe 90 89, 92% of uh, Odell Beckham, of DeAndre Hopkins, or players like that, but definitely has the same upside, and I would argue the same floor. So Juju is just a dynamite selection for this season. Can you imagine how expensive Juju would be if he had crushed in week 17 last year? Like, that was... Like, that's the gift that is going to give to people this year. Like, Juju did not have a great week 17 last year with Antonio Brown out. And what is like amazing is that he wasn't great in week 17 and he still has this ridiculous split without Antonio Brown. But, um, I mean, I think people are just kind of looking at what happened in weeks, or at least some people, some drafters, enough of them are looking at what happened without Brown last year in that one game, and they're projecting that forward, and I think that's a total mistake. Yeah, yeah. Just the final thought on Juju, I guess, would be that we have enough evidence on him overall as a player to expect good things, but we will move along off of him, which brings, brings us to Ben Roethlisberger. Now, I don't know if... This is going to be a huge consideration for most people, um, as I'm sure most of our listeners, you know, are drafting quarterbacks in a range where the quarterback they go with is going to be largely interchangeable with others. But nonetheless, 114 games in Roethlisberger split with Brown, four out of the split, huge drop here. He goes from 22.77 points to 12.49. The attempts fall from 37 to 23. Touchdowns fall 1.89 per game to one, and the yards go from 289 to 149. What do you think this is in these games, Matt? Do you think it is that they shifted and went to a more run heavy approach is it that Roethlisberger really does need Antonio Brown make sense of this yeah I don't know I would I would honestly need to look at this a little bit more um I think some of these games came in was it like 2012 um when Brown missed I think like three games um and so like that's I don't know that's a long time ago like I would kind of give a little more weight to what has happened recently but um, I think that offense is going to be largely as it has been, even with Brown out, um, just because I, I think Schuster is good enough. Um, and then I think what they can cobble together out of Dante Moncrief and James Washington developing a little more in his second year, and then the addition of Deontay Johnson, uh, and then Vance McDonald, like even Jalen Samuels, like pitching in some, like, I, I think they will continue to be what they have been. I agree with that. I think that the way you need to think about a split like this is to put in perspective of the team as a whole. Do we really feel like Ben Roethlisberger is going to be, from a production standpoint, 50% of what he was 
when Antonio Brown was there? I don't think so. I think it would be hard to find many players that think there's going to be that much of a step back in the offense. And I think that's all you really need to consider about this. And I do think it's possible we don't really see much of a step back at all, with the exception of that coming from elements in the offense that are not Antonio Brown. Um, but like you said, I mean, I still feel pretty good about this offense. As I've expressed a number of times, I feel a lot better about James Conner than most people. Um, so definitely go after Juju. I still think that you can go after the other receivers in this offense, can definitely go after James Conner. And I would say this, I'm actually fairly excited about Dante Moncrief because I do think there's a lot of potential there and that's not really getting priced into where you'll be taking him this year. Yeah, to, to put this into a little more of context, uh, while you're talking, I went to the road of his splits app and looked at the splits for 2016 to 2018. Yep. And I mean, it's a ridiculously small sample, um, but I mean, we're already in the realm of small samples, but um, 43 games with Antonio, two without him, 23.9 games with him, uh, sorry, 23.9 points in the games with him, 19.4 points without him. So, you know, like four and a half points. I think that is much more of a reasonable expectation relative to like the 15 points yep. that we were seeing with the other split. I mean, I think Roethlisberger will not be as good. Um, you know, he might lose two to three fantasy points. Like, I think that's reasonable also because he's, he's aging. He's, you know, just another year older. He's on the tail end of his career anyway, but I still think he will, he will be good enough for that offense to be pretty close to what it has been. Yep. I could not agree more. Um, let's look at Tampa Bay. This might not be as important of a change, but with Deshaun Jackson leaving, I did want to look at uh, how that might impact Chris Godwin. So we're looking at Godwin's full career here, 25 games with Deshaun Jackson, six with him out of the split. In those games with Jackson at 7.5 PPR points without him at 14.95, the receptions go up about one per game, touchdowns go from 0.16 to 0.67, targets go from 4.16 to 7.67, and the yards go from 37 to 72. And I think that this would probably, um, or let me say this differently, I think if you looked at the games in which Godwin had established himself and had an important role in that offense and you look at how things change with DJX out, you're still going to see those numbers being pretty good and then you're going to still see a jump. Um, And I think it's important to kind of contextualize this because there's reasons to believe that that offense is going to improve. You have Bruce Arians coming into the fold, another season for Godwin. So I think that this is an encouraging split to look at. Yeah, definitely. And, um, not as marked of a split, but there was the one game, uh, I think two years ago where Mike Evans was out. And so if you look at that split, mm-hmm. um, Godwin had 11.8 points in that game. So, uh, continue to see more targets, uh, had 10 targets in that game. So whether it's, uh, Evans out or Deshaun Jackson out, whenever Godwin has been a, in a position to have amplified opportunity, he's been able to capitalize on it. And that's what we're going to see for the entire season. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about him. That said, I'm surprised that I'm not more bullish on him. Um, I like, I think he's going to get opportunities, but I don't know. Like, I don't know how much better Jameis Winston is going to be. Um, I wasn't that optimistic on the offense in my first projection pass. And Mm -hmm. I went over it again. And I mean, I adjusted some numbers a little bit, but I'm still like, I don't know, like in like an immediate outcome, like I think Godwin is like a wide receiver three. Like I could see how he ends up as a wide receiver one. Like that range of outcomes is definitely there. But um, I think a lot of people are higher on him than I am. Like I think they're just they're they're betting into his upside. I can agree with that. And I think that the impact of Arians and some change in that team might be overstated, especially with how it might have impact Jameis Winston. I, as I've said numerous times, don't think that we're going to see this major change in Jameis Winston, but I do think that we might see enough of a change in the team in enough of a percentage of outcomes I can imagine that it does boost Godwin up into that low-end wide receiver two, high-end wide receiver three range. Um, 
with some upside. So that's why to me, he might be a little bit more attractive of an option than some of the similar players out there. Um, while we're talking about Godwin, of these three players, who would you rather have? Godwin, DJ Moore, or Tyler Lockett in 2019? Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, DJ Moore. Yeah, that's where I am at too. And then, um, and I think for all the reasons we've talked about. So then Godwin and Lockett, I kind of could go back and forth, but the more I think about it, I think I have to say Godwin. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's Lockett. Um, I'm expecting some touchdown regression, but he's just been so efficient his entire career um, at turning targets into catches and then turning catches into yards that uh, I have to assume, even if that regresses a little bit, like he will still be one of the more efficient players on a per target basis in the league. Uh, and I think he's going to get more volume just because Doug Baldwin is now gone. So right. uh, I'm still pretty bullish on, on Lockett, more bullish than I was expecting to be. Uh, even factoring in touchdown regression. Gotcha. I think for me, what the difference is, I expect Godwin to kind of, um, I expect Godwin to progress from where he was last season, given the factors that we talked about. Whereas Lockett, I do think you could see a little bit of his role expanding, maybe getting better as a player. But, you know, with that, even if it's a small, tick down in efficiency is just hard for me to see as much upside overall for Lockett when compared to Godwin. But um, I do think that they're both in a very similar range. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the one thing to keep in mind, like I do think that Lockett is going to see a, a pretty decent increase in targets and like he's, I don't know, like he's the number one in his offense. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like yep. DK Metcalf might become the number one eventually, but I think Lockett at this point is pretty clearly the number one. And just in general, I would probably rather have the number one who's hugely efficient versus like the number two in an offense that might not be all that good. Like it, like it's totally possible that this offense could be great for the Buccaneers, but it could also be just as bad as you would maybe expect uh, the offense to be given that, Jameis Winston is who he has been for the past four years. That's completely fair. Uh, what about though Mike Evans, who we know that you are a big fan of, um, in the split twenty six with Deshaun with Deshaun Jackson out of the split fifty one. Some of those games, um, Jackson wouldn't have been on the team, but we only see a difference. Um, actually, it's a decrease from when Deshaun Jackson was there, 16.71 to 15.92, but some of that might just be where Evans was in his career. Receptions are relatively fat. Touchdowns are relatively fat, uh, flat. Targets um, are a little bit lower with him in the split, 8.96 versus 9.49. And the yards are actually higher with Jackson in the split than with him out than without him, 85 versus 76. We haven't really talked about the impact of Deshaun Jackson leaving and how things are going to shift around in this offense in regard to Evans. Do you see much of a change, or is this just going to be another season where Evans hums along, sometimes even quietly, as one of the better fantasy options? Yeah, I, I'm i not as optimistic on Evans as I expected I would be. Um, I mean, I still think he has the upside of being a top five receiver this year, but I have him more like a low-end wide receiver one. And I think uh, whether Jackson is there or not, like that doesn't really factor much into his, uh, his projection. Um, but I don't think he's going to be quite as efficient. Like last year, he was ridiculously efficient. Um, at turning catches into yards. And I don't think he's going to be quite as efficient this year. So I would expect some regression in the um, in the yardage department. And so that's why I'm knocking him down a little bit. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, when I'm all said and done with everything in working through Tampa Bay, I think that I expect to see Evans pretty similar to what I saw last year. So I don't think that the changes in the team, be it the coach, be it roster moves, um, Winston potentially improving, I don't really see much of that having a huge impact in Evans. So I'm expecting more of what we've seen the last couple of seasons. Yeah, um, I mean, Evans, yep. to kind of put this in perspective. So like last year, he had over 1,500 yards receiving. Like that's really high. And um, in like a, I don't know, just in, in any other year, that might have been the most yards in the league. 
You know what I mean? Right. Um, I don't think we should expect to see that again. Like, I think we should expect to see something closer to the average of what he's done over the past five years. Yeah, that's perfectly fair. Um, moving along now, this we don't have to spend too much time on, but I looked. I was looking at win totals this morning, projected win totals, and I looked at some of the lower teams in the league. And we may have talked about Washington before, but um, I think we were talking specifically just about the running backs and how there might be a split between their production. Are there any players on the offensive side of the ball in Washington worth selecting in 2019 drafts as what may be substantial portions of your roster? And then I'll even expand that out to, um, are there any players that you've seen with their current ADP that you're actually interested in? Not really. Like, um, I want to like Trey Quinn because like I do see a scenario in which he could actually lead the team in receptions, but I still think even if that is the case, he would be like a wide receiver three. Um, and when you draft him, like you're drafting him in one of the later rounds. So it's not like he's someone who's requiring premium investment. Um, so yeah, I'm kind of staying away from that offense in general. Yeah, fair enough. I am too. As much as I love Darius Geis, I just think that there's a number of reasons to be concerned with that team in general, with how the backfield opportunity could get split. And then also there's some health considerations um, and everything that goes with having missed his first season being sidelined um, year off before making that jump from college to the pros who knows how that plays out the jets i'm going to assume that there are players here despite the team being projected for on some of the sites i was looking at just four wins i mean there's robbie anderson there's Le'Veon bell i have to assume you're interested in them and then are there any other names that that uh you might like like jamison crowder or quincy anunwa no, uh, Bell and Anderson, as you mentioned, are the, the two guys who are catching my eye. But I am really concerned about this offense because of Adam Gase and his propensity to run a really slow-paced offense. Yep. Um, so I, I don't know. And like, there's the possibility that um, as much praise as Gase got early in his career for you know, uh, coordinating the offense that Peyton Manning ran, <laughs> um, I don't think Gase should really get credit for that. Um, and, you know, he uh, reportedly, you know, rejuvenated the career of Jay Cutler, but it's not as if the season that Cutler had with him in, in his one year in Chicago was really all that much better than anything Cutler had done previously in his career. So I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty down on Gase and, uh, it's possible that he could just totally submarine the career of Sam Darnold. And, uh, I don't know. I'm, so, I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of staying away. Um, like I want to like Le'Veon Bell, um, and I think he probably will have a season sort of like ones he's had previously, but uh, I don't know. I'm just I'm kind of down on the Jets. Yeah, I've been talking with some people um, that feel really good about Le'Veon, and one of the reasons is they think that it's likely he gets many more targets than one might anticipate when they sit down and work on a projection. But the thing that you alluded to that I'm having trouble with is I can't get their play volume high enough to the point That's where the it gets Le'Veon Bell. Exactly. I can't get him in that stratosphere of the McCaffrey's or the Barclays or the Elliot's or even a player like David Johnson. Cause you know, Johnson's going to have such an aggressive pace. And I think that Bell's going to be in the opposite side of the spectrum. So it seems very unlikely to me that he gets the, the volume given the team's pace to be one of those top backs, which yeah. is where you're probably going to have to draft him, especially as uh, casual players get into the fold and we see a little bit of an increase in uh, where he's going. Yeah, that's absolutely the problem. Yep. All right. Um, the Buffalo Bills. Um, I'm passing, I would say, on every running back. I'm probably passing on the wide receivers. Josh Allen might be the only intriguing option. Yeah, Josh Allen is intriguing, and I hate to say that um, because I, you know, don't think he's – I'm like the anti-truther for Josh Allen. But right. uh, he was pretty efficient last year at turning dropbacks into scrambles, uh, high yardage scrambles. Uh, so even though he wasn't that good of a passer, when he returned from injury in his final six games of the season, he was the number one fantasy quarterback on a points-per-game basis. And, you know, that's not to say that we'll continue, but what you have to like is that 
the offense has been rebuilt around him. Um, the Bills have done what they can to improve the offensive line. They've added John Brown. Uh, they've added Cole Beasley. They drafted a tight end. They added Tyler uh, Tyler Croft, which, you know, like, who knows what that means, but at least, like, they're trying to rebuild around him. They added some good pass-catching backs in Frank Gore and TJ Yeldon. Um, you know, they added Devin uh, Singletary, who didn't do much as receiver in his final two seasons, but in his freshman year in college, he was actually a pretty good pass catcher. Like, there are things to like about what they're doing, and then you have to assume that he's going to be better, he being Josh Allen, will be better uh, as a passer than he was last year. Like, he can't be worse. Um, so, I don't know. Given where you can get him as, like, the quarterback anywhere from, like, 15 at the highest, but it's more like he's going around, like, quarterback 20, um, that's pretty good upside. Uh, so, yeah, he's someone I would be drafting um, on that team. I'm probably staying away from everyone else on the team, though. Okay, a final question about the Bills, and I think we actually might revisit Allen in a couple of minutes um, in another context. Yeah. As far as the receivers go, you could probably make a case that John Brown could be the number one, that it could be Zay Jones, or it could be Robert Foster. Do you prefer any of those options? Not that it's necessarily going to be a player that's going to rack up the points. I'm just kind of trying to get a feel for how you envision things going, especially given your love for Smokey. Yeah, I have John Brown projected as the number one receiver in the offense um, pretty significantly, but uh, I, I do think that Robert Foster is uh, the number the number two. Actually, let me look at this. Yeah, actually, I have Brown and Foster for similar projections, actually, now that gotcha. I'm looking at this more. Yeah, yeah, so it's pretty much those two. Um, Cole Beasley, that's going to be kind of hard. I think um, like those short kind of precision passes, that's not really <laughs> uh, Josh Allen's thing. No. And I think Zay Jones gets written out of the offense entirely. Wow. I mean, it's not like he has the talent that makes him necessary to stay there. So that's about as much time as I want to spend on the Bills. And actually, I was going <laughs> to ask you if there's any other teams, but let, let's forget about these these teams that suck yeah. and, just, and move on. But before we do, uh, let's talk about the FFPC, which is the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football, where you may want to avoid going after those players we just talked about. It's been 10 years since the FFPC filled their first dynasty league, and they've now grown to be the world's largest dynasty league commissioner with leagues starting as high as $5,000 to enter. And that is because these leagues are awesome. Um, we really like the apps that they, the app that they rolled out for the phone to draft very nice interface on the site. And for that reason, not a single league has ever folded brand new startup dynasty leagues are forming right now, starting at $77 and up in standard super flex and best ball formats. There's also drafts just filling around the clock. Um, and if you're ready for your greatest challenge, take a look at this year's FFPC main event where Matt and I, I will be drafting. What is the main event exactly? It's the world's biggest event in season-long fantasy football. And this year, it's coming at you with a half a million dollar grand prize. Of course, Matt and I are going to win that, so tough luck for the rest of you. And there's over $3.1 million in total prizes. And uh, you can go to Las Vegas for a three-day weekend of live drafts and festivities at the Planet Hollywood Resort and Casino or draft online from the comfort of your home. I definitely plan on making my way out there one year, uh, probably when my daughter's a little bit older, but you can find out more about the main event deadline coming up in just a few days on Monday, July 22nd. To do that, go to myffpc.com and register now. That's myffpc.com, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. It's the sale you've been waiting for. Now through Monday, get a huge 50% off the styles you need now with 50% off all jeans, 50% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, 50% off. Jeans start at 15 bucks for adults, 10 bucks for kids. Want fashion in a flash? Buy online and pick up in-store for free. Hurry, the sale ends Monday at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 829 to 9 Excludes in-store clearance, jumpsuits, rompers, bubbles, active license, and men's package tees. 
Okay, Matt. I also, when looking at win totals, took a look at some player props to see if there's anything that stood out to me on players that might make me want to revisit my outlook for them. I have talked about how I'm not a huge fan of Lamar Jackson, but I do know that some people view him as a really great option for teams that are going to be waiting on quarterback and giving the rushing upside. His over-under that I saw for passing yards was just 3,000. Isn't this a problem, or do you think that he can be so ample with his rushing production that that does not matter? Yeah, so I think there are a couple of questions. Like one is like a, a framing question for the entire exercise of looking yep. at player props. Like, how accurate are these? Um, I think player props are, especially season long player props, are pretty exploitable. Um, I you know had success betting them last year, and I mean it's just. There are limits that the books set on them, so they don't have to be super accurate. Um, it's just sort of something that they offer. And I think most books probably do end up losing money on player props. So mm-hmm. I think they're not all that accurate. But that said, um, the Lamar Jackson prop is – okay, so a couple things. One, uh, it is a problem. But two, I think it's too high. Yeah. Um, I I have him projected for fewer passing yards. Um, Sean Corner uh, from Action Network, who uh, is sort of the master projectionist, yep. um, he has him uh, projected for significantly fewer yards. Um, and what you have to keep in mind is that, like, we should probably assume that maybe he misses like a game or at least like half a game yeah. or something, you know. But like, yep. so that's part of what goes into this. But yeah, um, I think it's a problem. the The big question is, so for Jackson, I think there are two questions, and pretty much the same questions that we have for Josh Allen too. Uh, how much is he going to progress as a passer, and then what regression, if any, should we expect from him as a runner? Uh, Lamar Jackson, when he was starting, had 17 carries per game. Like that is unheard of for That's a quarterback absurd. in the modern era. Yep. And like we have to assume that he's not going to do that again. Um, right. But what if he does? Like, or what if he at least approaches it? If he approaches it, then it doesn't matter how many yards he throws. He's going to crush his average draft position. But the the passing. Uh, the passing possibility with him is a problem. Uh, although he did improve as a passer each year in college, I'm still not all that optimistic on him, but like that optimistic on him as a passer, but like, I don't know. I don't know if it matters. Like Michael Vick was never all that great of a passer and he was still so dynamic. And I think that's kind of what Lamar Jackson is. All right. Well, before I get to, to what I, my thoughts on this, do you think that it's fair to compare and I'm not saying it isn't. As far as being a rusher goes and rushing out of the quarterback position, do you think that Lamar Jackson is in the same kind of tier, if you will, as Michael Vick? Because Vick, I mean, was just incredible. Yeah. I mean, I think Jackson is really close to that. Okay. Um, especially given, I mean, what we saw him do last year, like 17 carries per game. Um, and he was like pretty efficient with them. Um yeah, I mean, I think he will continue to improve as a runner in the NFL too. Like, I think okay. he has good speed. Um, he has like the inclination to run. Uh, yeah, like it's a thousand yards rushing is not out of the question with him. Okay. All right. So this is kind of, I do think that it might be a problem and this is why. In my projection, I gave him 22% of Baltimore's rushing, which I think is pretty I mean, it comes up to 105 attempts with what I have. That is a step back from the pace, obviously, that he was on last season, but it's still a a pretty high number. With 5.2 yards per attempt and eight rushing touchdowns, he still can only get to 233 points in my projection because the yardage is at 2,847 with just 12 touchdown passes, 58% completion. And I think that a reason those, those touchdowns stay so low is because of the slim completion percentage. And perhaps I'm too low on the rushing numbers perhaps i'm perhaps i'm too low on the passing touchdowns but 
I'm not expecting to see significant progression as a passer. And I think that this lends itself to something that we see in the second year with rushing quarterbacks. Granted, he only had a smaller sample last year, which is once teams realize there's not too much that the player can do beating them through the air, they're able to focus and shut them down on the ground, limiting their rushing abilities. So I think that, like you said, he's a player who's might have more upside than his prices there. I just think that we might run into a situation where a lot of people are expecting to fall back on Lamar Jackson and get pretty good production from their quarterback when that might not be the case. Perhaps that doesn't matter in the confines of their teams, but that's my case against Jackson. Yeah. Um, I would max bet the over on number of rushes if you gave me a line of 105. Okay. Um, where would you start to get a little leery? Where like um, where would it have to be for you to say you know what like I I can't take this bet I'm just not going to get in. I mean, okay, I'm projecting him for 142, okay. and I think I'm too low. Okay, you know, so like I'm trying to be really cautious on projecting him there, but um, Raybon has projected him closer to 175. Wow. And uh, Corner has projected him even higher than that. And by the way, I should just shamelessly say that uh, these projections power the customizable cheat sheet, (laughs) uh, which has been released at the Action Network this week. I'm definitely cutting that out of the... No, I'm just kidding. Um, We will leave that in. Oh, the other thing I should mention too, that I think you made a good note about um, assuming that Jackson might miss some time. So like a a thing that I do when I'm working through my projections is a player like Jackson, I'll just set him at like 92% of passing attempts. Um, And what that does is if there's players that like I feel better for certain types of quarterbacks that they might be at like that 98%, it might make a difference in how you value your projection. So like normally for quarterbacks, I'll back off like a half a game or something like that, which I think you might kind of have mentioned, but I thought that was worth bringing up. Yeah. Um, Um, I think the odds are pretty decent that Jackson misses uh, at least one game. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. All right. So we kind of, I had the same question down here for Josh Allen, who was at 3,200 in the passing category. I think though that more or less it's the same argument, but you probably, I'm assuming feel a little bit better about the possibility of Jackson getting to such high volume, um, in attempts. And I'm not sure if you feel as good about his outlook on touchdowns. I think you could make an argument that Allen rushes for eight touchdowns. Yeah. Um, I will take the under on 3,200. So, I mean, it's it's a similar situation with Jackson. Um, I think he will probably still see a decent chunk of rushing attempts. Um, I don't think he will be quite as efficient with them as he was last year. Like, he was just otherworldly. But, uh, yeah, I will take the under on the passing. Okay. Um, Let's let's shift away from there. Derek Henry... uh, his prop has him at 1,210 rushing yards. So I guess my first question would be for you, do you think that you would take the over on that? And let's say he does get to that much yardage, but with a low or limited role um, as a receiver in PPR with that type of volume, is he still like a low end RB2? Could he get into that RB1 conversation? What do you think? Okay, so I think that's a little bit high for me yep. on the the rushing yardage me too. Uh, because I'm still expecting Deion Lewis to have much more production or more opportunities than people want him to have. Um, I think he'll kind of siphon enough away. Um, but um, if he, uh, if Derrick Henry is able to get up to around 1,200, uh, yeah, I think he will be like a mid-range running back to in PPR. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. Yeah, I think that's very fair. And um, yeah, I definitely think that the 1,200 rushing yards 
is too high. Um, I would say that what I would actually be expecting from Henry would be to, in comparison to other backs, perhaps his touchdown volume, I think, would be more likely to be very high um, than just the pure rushing yardage because Lewis should still get somewhat involved. Um, I know we've talked about him so much, but your boy, Kyler Murray, 435 was his over under. From what we heard of you, from what we've heard from you, I have to assume that you're pounding the over. Oh, it's it has been pounded. It was pounded uh, months ago. And uh, I mean, I, I can't bet it anymore because I've bet it as much as I can at every place possible. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm I'm easily projecting for more. Uh, I'm trying to scroll through the spreadsheet to see if people who might be more reasonable than I am are still projecting him for heavy rushing yardage. And uh, yeah, that's, that is the case. Um, Yeah. Sean Corner is projecting him for over 500 rushing yards. Um, I'm projecting him for over 600. It's, I mean, I I can't help myself. I I can't help myself. Is that a function of um, just volume or is that a function of efficiency when rushing? Primarily volume. Yeah. Um, but there, I mean, there is some efficiency too, because like, I think, I mean, so I talked about, uh, Lamar Jackson as, you know, being Michael Vick-esque. I think Murray is Michael Vick who can actually throw. You think like, that he's, yeah, you, yeah. You think that he has the rushing ability of Michael Vick, the throwing ability of Joe Montana, the uh, you know mind no, of Peyton ba- Manning. Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield is the throwing ability. Let's let's be more reasonable. Let's not put him in Montana stratosphere okay. yet. <laughs> All right. Um. Yeah, I need to go back and, and revisit my um, projection with Arizona, particularly in Murray's rushing attempts, because one of the things I was having trouble with is I do feel like Chase Edmonds will get utilized in the rushing game, given the pace that I expect. And I expect David Johnson to have a very high percentage of attempts. So like I was having trouble actually fitting in enough of a volume for Murray. Um, I don't want to ask you too much of your projections, but um, if you look at the total number of plays that you're expecting for Arizona, does it get over like 1,050? Yes. Okay. Um, I don't. I don't have my spreadsheet up yep. for the team level stuff, but I can just tell you, yes. Like I, right. I feel pretty confident that uh, they they are over that number. Yeah, because I think that if you're somebody out there that's wondering how um, we could be so bullish on some of these players in the Cardinals offense, and especially with something like. Kyler Murray's rushing attempts, it's because we expect such a significant increase in play volume. Um, you know, last season they only ran 850 plays, the season before that, 883. So you add in very realistically, you could add in another uh, 200 uh, plays to that plus. So that's where some of that comes from. Where do you, uh, let's say, if I had to set an over under on um, like rank of plays within the league. Yep. Would you say that they are top five in number of plays run by the end of the season? Uh, um, I would say maybe not top five, but definitely I think top 10 to put things in perspective, the 75th percentile. Um, and honestly, I'm looking at my projection spreadsheet, so I forget what range did I use this from, but like a 75th percentile rushing team will do 459 rushing plays, 606 passing plays. So that comes up to 1065. I'll put it this way. Yeah. I see them in this, the 70, you know, the top 75th percentile. So probably like a top eight, at least maybe not top fifth, but definitely in the conversation. Yeah. I think they'll, yeah, I think they'll probably be in the top five. Um, and that's kind of where a lot of my optimism with them is coming from. Just they, I think they will play so fast and I think they will actually be a pretty good team. Like I'll just say, like, I, I think Murray has like, I mean, it's a very outside chance, but I think he has a chance to win MVP. Um, (laughs) because part of like, that is like such a narrative driven award. Yeah. And like, you can get him at, um, is it a hundred to one? You can get him at a hundred to one. Um, and I think there's value there. Uh, I don't know. I'll just, I'm going to stop talking because I know I'm sounding ridiculous, but I think there actually is value there. Um, I, I think that, well, I, I'm not going to comment on that specifically, but I think that, um, one of the key things here is 
when you're looking at things and, and I kind of have it now where when I started doing projections and whatnot, like I'd be really tempted to go and look and see what other people have. And, you know, I would get influenced by that, but now I just run through mine. I'm like, this is what I think. Does it make logical sense? Is there things to support this? And if that's really what you feel like, you just kind of go with it because especially in something um, like fantasy or betting, like if you don't take those chances and you're always just kind of going back to the middle, like I just don't think that's a way to be successful. Um, Sony Michelle, last player we'll talk about. I found this one really interesting. 1,120 rushing yards. I guess that if that's going to happen, you have to assume that he is not only fairly well entrenched as the main guy in the offense, but you have to assume that he's going all 16 games. Um, so from a fantasy perspective, I don't think this really changes what we've talked about, but that looks like an attractive prop bet to me. Yeah. I mean, I would hammer the under on that. <laughs> me too. Uh, I, I believe I have. Like, um, I'm pretty sure I have. Uh, sometimes it's hard for me to remember exactly which ones I bet. Yeah. But uh, I, I, I would bet that I've bet this one. And um, yeah, pretty aggressively, I have him projected to the under. Uh, and a large function of that is uh, – is two things. One, obviously, I think he's going to miss some games. Uh, and then two, I think even if he plays, let's say, at least 14 games, yep. I still expect uh, the combination of Damian Harris and even Rex Burkhead in there to siphon away enough carries. Very good point. I mean, I think that we almost forget to talk about Rex Burkhead at this point with some of the excitement about Harris. And obviously, you have James White. Um, and it is possible that Burkhead might not make the roster as Brandon Bolden. Um, I think they're going to keep five. I, I think they're going to keep five running backs. They've done that before. And I think they did that the first year that they had um, back in the day, Stephen Ridley and Shane Vereen, when they yep. drafted both of those guys in the same season, like that year, you still had Ben Jarvis Green Ellis as the lead back. And you had Danny Woodhead as the primary receiving back. And you had Brandon Bolden as the special teamer. And then you had Ridley and Vereen as the guys who were kind of chipping in, but primarily on the bench. I think we will see five running backs once again for the Patriots. Yeah, so the key takeaway is if you're looking for something else to aggressively pound, uh, the Sony Michelle rushing prop is probably one to go to. Uh, that is going to close us out for today. Matt, you're actually going to be out of the country um, in what's the date range? I think next episode is the last one for a couple of weeks. Okay, where are you going to be if you don't mind me asking? Uh, I'm going to be in Europe. Um, my wife is giving a, uh, paper at a conference there. Oh, that's uh, cool. And then we're going to kind of use that as an excuse to stay over there for a little bit. Nice. So how much work are you going to have to do while you're over there? Uh, I'll still be doing some work just in terms of maintaining projections yep. and, uh, you know, just doing some stuff like that, but I can take a little bit of time. Nice. That's, that's cool. Um, yeah. my final question, what's your wife's paper on? I do not remember. Um, it, well, the reason why I don't remember is because she writes a lot of papers. Yeah. Um, and so I kind of just don't remember. I mean, I could give like a perfunctory, like very vague answer. Like it's probably on uh, 20th century American literature and trauma. Ooh. Um, so something like that. Okay. Um that's I, I find that pretty interesting. Um, anyway, uh, so we will be getting fill-ins for Matt um, in those episodes. So you have that to look forward to. Fantasy Mansion will be returning um, in August to the pod. So some big plans going forward, but that's going to do it for today's show. Again, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Follow us on Twitter at DaveCabinFF and at MattFTheOracle. Be sure to check out Rotoviz, and you can email us at rotovizradio at gmail.com. And until next time, remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. 
Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.